Welcome to Hire Everyone, the podcast where we help you reach higher in your career and learn with experts in recruitment, entrepreneurship, marketing, and many more about what it takes to become a leader in your dream industry. And in today's episode, we will talk about how to get a job. But first, hit that beat, Nikki Simmons. So, the pandemic is still here. Yeah. Here to stay, I'd say. I'd say the same. Not the best time for a job search, is it? No, it ain't. It's hard enough on a good day, eh? You can't imagine how many times I've lost a battle against the robots. You mean the algorithm that screens your application? Like I said, the robots. Alright, robots it is. But... There are more ways to getting a job than simply waiting for the job ad to pop up in your feed. So true. The job market seems to have its own secret language. And to be visible, that means learning that language. Which is why today we are joined by Manuel Heichlinger, Director Recruiting and People at Samsara. To help us unlock the secret of the job market. And to help you get the attention you deserve. Because you're hot. Yes, like Tabasco. Stop it, Tom. Let's go get it. Manuel in the house, everybody. Thanks, Manuel, for joining us today. Um, Look, tell the audience a little bit more about yourself and about the world of recruitment and how people get jobs. Of course, yeah, and I'm so excited to be here today. So thanks for for having me uh, at this fabulous show. Um, yes, I mean, when people look at my LinkedIn profile, where I think people usually start looking nowadays when they want to get to know somebody uh, in a professional way, then they can see I've been in recruitment for, for a very long time. I'm not giving away my age here. Um, but I still love it, and I love it mostly because it's really exciting just to help people find jobs, to speak to candidates, and uh, to give them a great experience. And I mean... One of the reasons I think we're going to chat a little bit more today is I just realized that there's actually so much that people can easily change and do to have much more success in their job searches or getting much better results when they're actually um, looking for the next step in the career. Um, and it's not very rocket science. It's just like stuff people are not probably aware of because they're not dealing with recruiting every day because they have obviously another day job to do. So yeah, really excited to talk a bit more with you guys about that and 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 what people can actually do to stand out more um, on their CV or their LinkedIn profile when they're looking for this next step in their career. Yeah, and we're really excited to have you as well. Um, But Tom, I have a very important message for our listeners. You need to listen very careful because we will have a few messages at the end that you have to be listening in for because they are the top secrets on how you're going to do well on your job search. Oh, you're telling me that Manuel has secrets that he's going to keep until the very end of the podcast? Classic YouTube tactic. I love it. Okay, let's go. Pressure on now. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a few myths to debunk, we reckon. One is recruiters are the enemy because they reject applications. True or false, Manuel? Well, recruiters do reject applications. That's true. But I would say it's absolutely false that they are the enemy i would actually say the other way around recruiters are your cheerleaders usually from any recruitment process i have run as a recruiter myself i'm always the person in the corner of the candidate fighting their course with a hiring manager who probably doesn't want to see a certain person because of something on their cv or something that they think they should be having for the role and usually the recruiter uh, is 
your best friend. It's the person in the interview process you should trust. You should also ask for advice when you have interviews coming up. Um, and it's the person you should really rely on because, uh, trust me, they want to fill that job with you. They want to basically get you into the company uh, and they're definitely in your corner. Okay, super interesting. Thank you. Now, your recruit recruitment also costs money and time, right? Yeah. So nobody, so these recruiters are obviously also in this um, game to win and find the right candidates that are right for the job and for whom the job is also right. Um, thank you. Myth number two, the six-second rule. This is how much time recruiters spend <laughs> on an applicant's CV. True or false? Um, it is definitely true that recruiters spend a very short amount of time on a CV, I have to say. And that's mainly because, from own experience, again, you have a lot of applications for some of the roles you're recruiting for. And you physically can't spend more than maybe six, maybe it's eight, maybe it's sometimes 10 seconds on a CV. And, and I tell you what, that doesn't mean that you're dismissing that individual applicant or candidate. It is just a lot of times that recruiters looking for certain things. I give you a specific example. If I'm looking for a German-speaking um, salesperson, then I will scan a CV and within five to six seconds, I will know if this person speaks German or not. Either they tell me on their CV or I can see from their background. Now, if they're not German speaking, I'm going to dismiss this person based on that uh, for that specific role. And I think that's what recruiters do. They're basically trying to scan a CV very, very quickly for the, the key things that they must have. Um, and then they will make the decision based on that. If you, though, pass those initial screens there's six eight ten seconds then obviously a recruiter will spend much more time on your application because then they want to know okay this person speaks german to go back to my example now what have they done as a salesperson what type of customers have they worked with how good were they how much quota have they achieved where have they worked before so then i'm obviously going much deeper into your cv and i spend much more time on it to make a final decision are you basically gonna go through to the next round which usually then is an interview with me or not but yes, the initial screen can often be as little as six or seven seconds to, to kind of really um, come to that conclusion if somebody is uh, fulfilling this minimum criteria for a role or not. Wow, I love that one. Um, really important to remember that. Mm. Um, the next one, recruitment is only done by robots. No <laughs> human eye ever sees your CV. True or false? Well, I mean, it is... Um, the statement as such is false. I mean, it is obviously true there is more and more technology and AI coming into the recruiting process, right? And if I just go back to what we talked about with the six-second rule, you can imagine that that job very soon or in many companies with high-volume applications is already done by AI to some degree, where they're filtering out candidates based on certain keywords or key criteria that have been defined in the job description. But I can also promise anybody who's listening right now that there is still a human person then at some point, usually when it comes to the interviews, looking at the CVs, engaging, because we should never forget a recruitment process is two-sided, right? It's not only the company sitting there or the recruiter or the hiring manager sitting there and doing thumbs up or thumbs down. In the end, in my experience, when it comes to offer stage, for example, the candidate is in the driver's seat. So they usually decide which of the offers they're going to take and if they didn't have a great experience, if they didn't get that kind of sense of what the company stands for, what is their culture, what are the people like, then they will not take the offer from your organization. So it's important that we engage on a human-to-human -human level with the candidates as early as possible in the process to create that kind of beautiful experience for candidates and get them over the line when we want to make an offer at the end. 
I love hearing to um, talk about this because oftentimes, and this is obviously also the next question, but only a teaser as we talk about this quite a bit in this um, <laughs> in this episode. Oftentimes, it can you sort of you fall into this victim mentality mm. where it's you you against the job ad, you against the recruiter, mm -hmm. nobody is replying to you, um, and you feel a little bit helpless. Um, is that the only way to get jobs and to engage with the job market? It, well, I think. Yes, there's thankfully now with social media and, and platforms like LinkedIn and so forth, I think there's very different ways. I think one way, yes, of course, it is still um, to apply to job descriptions or to ad job advertisements out there. But I think much more importantly is actually that element of, of networking. I, I always give the figure, um, so in, in, in most, I'm not giving specific company or data away, but it, let's say just say in most companies I worked in the last 10 years in a recruitment function, I would say on average, um, a third of the jobs uh, went to referral candidates. So basically to candidates who have been referred by an existing employee of the organization for a job. And and I mean, that tells you a lot, right? When you think about that, is it's, so it's not about just like applying to a position, but thinking very strategically, who do I know in that organization via my network or via a friend or a friend of a friend? And who could I probably ask to put me forward for a role in an organization rather than me applying? Because what happens in that instance is usually that you end up in a, in a let's say, a more of a priority pile because recruiters are, as you mentioned before, we, we all time short and we all kind of also obviously want to wanna, um, get things off our desk. And if I have a candidate being referred by a very well-known employee in the organization, then I probably look at that person first before I'm looking at 10 other applications I got on the same day. So I would say to make this work for you as an applicant is always look out for connections you might already have in the organization you want to apply for and use, utilize them before you just send out an application into, um, into a mailbox or into an application form on the internet. Oh, that is an amazing piece of advice. Don't give away all your secrets yet, right? <laughs> I have more to tell. Don't worry. Don't you worry. <laughs> good, good. So basically your your network is your wealth as well, which is something yeah. we always talk about. Um, so you also mentioned LinkedIn, mm. one of our favorite platforms that can be tricky to know what to do with, I suppose. Mm. Um, but with the help of this podcast, and I like to keep saying this because it's very exciting, our very first guest, you, Manuel, <laughs> we, we aim to help you find those secrets they're probably not all that secret but anyway how to kill it on linkedin um yeah. so yeah. what the first thing i suppose is how important is it to have a linkedin profile not just a linkedin profile but a good one mm -hmm. uh, for visibility and also for your job search yeah i mean i think um obviously linkedin is not the only place where recruiters or companies look for candidates nowadays there's lots of different channels that every company is using and should be using but i think it's fair to say that 90 plus percent of companies are definitely have linkedin as part of their uh, go-to-market strategy when they're looking for candidates and i think the great thing about linkedin is it goes two ways you you can apply for jobs so you you can actively put yourself forward but you can also be found for jobs by recruiters or by organizations and so I think for anybody who is currently actively looking in uh, for their jobs, doesn't matter if you're a recent graduate in your early career or if you're more seasoned, I think it is uh, an absolute must to be on LinkedIn uh, because it is just another um, easy channel to help you with your job search in that sense. 
That's super interesting, Manuel. Thank you. I will probably, you know, make that one of your three secrets at the end of the episode. Where else are recruiters looking that you can sort of, you know, pitch and position yourself in a certain way? Mm. But specifically the question around LinkedIn um, is because, you know, we all have these profiles. We all have the 500 plus connections um, or strive to in any case. So, but what is your general sense when you do a job search for candidates on LinkedIn? Mm. Do you say, oh my goodness, these people know what they're doing. This is fantastic. Or more often than not, do you roll your eyes and you say, oh, this could have been such an easy fix. Your profile could be standing out so much more. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of, I think, really excellent profiles on LinkedIn. And and what makes them excellent is usually that they are fun, they're engaging, they have personality, they tell me a little bit more about the person behind the profile. That might be a very cool picture, that might be a very interesting um, entry paragraph to the to the profile, or just the way that they've written their experience in general. Um, and then, yeah, then, then there's profiles where you just think, oh dear, like, I mean, why, why, I always say like, for example, like easiest win you can have is why do you not have a photo on your LinkedIn profile? It's like turning up to a networking event with like a paperback over your head, right? I mean, you wouldn't do that in real life. So why do you not do that on LinkedIn? Um, and that, that's like a very easy one to to kind of probably approach. Um, the other thing is that that people are just um, not maybe using the breadth of exp- uh, of functionalities at LinkedIn. You you can upload videos you can upload photos you can upload presentations so i think depending on the industry you're in or depending on your um, seniority of role there are so many different ways you can make your linkedin profile stand out and engaging um and uh, and, and i think that that that's fantastic right i mean it, and i think in in this kind of current market it's a mix of making yourself stand out and actually um creating this kind of element of curiosity where a recruiter says hmm I want to see more of that person. I want to know more. I, I want to scroll down that profile and find out what else they can do or what else they have done. And I think you you get that usually when you when you put a bit of thought into your top half of the LinkedIn profile, so your picture, your headline, um, summary, so all these good things. And, and if you make it just a little bit more engaging. And I think it doesn't take a lot of um, knowledge. I think LinkedIn is fairly easy to navigate. Um, and to add stuff to, and it it just adds, it needs a little bit of time and a little bit of creativity probably to do that. And if you don't have that in kind of creativity yourself, you can always find inspiration by just looking at other people's profiles and just see a look, have a look around what others have been doing in probably doing similar roles or working in similar industries, and and then basically just in the best possible way just copy what they've been doing, but obviously making it your own so it's authentic to yourself. I love that. So your LinkedIn profile is much more of an expose. It's almost like a sales funnel. People read at the top, so lead them, bring them call to actions, um, show them what you want them to do um, when they browse your profile, much more than a CV can. So that's an excellent tip. Yeah, and also I think, sorry, sorry, just one thing to say there, sorry, Nikki, is um, that's probably so true that people should think about their LinkedIn profile much more as a digital representation of their professional personal brand rather than just a CV. So that's what was my, my bugbear when people just say, oh yeah, I've just copy pasted my CV onto my LinkedIn profile, I'm done. And like, no, you're not. You're basically, you're missing a massive, a massive trick here because a LinkedIn profile could be so much more. And you're not always looking for a job, but you still should be engaging on LinkedIn because it can give you so many other uh, facets that can add to your professional um, experience. And I know we're talking later on about networking, so I can probably go a bit more in detail then. Yeah, um, that's really great. Really great advice. And I think, like you said, take time, reflect, 
figure out what you actually do, yeah. what you bring to the table, right? Um, and then I guess the next question would be to sort of think about how you approach writing about yourself and mm-hmm. finding it meaningful for for the recruiter. So imagine you're you as as a recruiter are looking at LinkedIn mm-hmm. and you've got a specific job to fill. Mm-hmm. What do you do first? You fire up your Mac, I hope, <laughs> <laughs> and then LinkedIn and start looking. But what happens next? Yeah. So what, for you. Yeah. So obviously, I've I've been working at LinkedIn for nearly six years, so I can give a little bit of a behind the scenes kind of thing uh, within Reason. But for how from how it works from a um, tool perspective, like there is a LinkedIn that normal LinkedIn users don't see that is uh, called a tool called LinkedIn Recruiter that um, companies can basically purchase for their LinkedIn uh, for their for their um, recruiting teams. And that tool is usually what recruiters then go first when they're when they're looking for candidates. And that just gives them more um, possibilities to search and filter and 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 add candidates into into projects and approach them. So what a recruiter would usually do is they would start with the job description. They would look at um, the briefing notes they had from their hiring manager a kickoff meeting, and they would type in specific keywords that they have identified as uh, important for the role. Um, that could be specific skills, specific um, languages, specific um, um, yeah, kind of just experiences. And then they would get a, a raw list of, of hits, of candidates, of, of LinkedIn members that fit those criteria. And then they would, re- usually you would refine it um, with certain filters you can apply with regards to how many, ta- how many years have somebody been in a certain role, how many years experience do they have, location, whatever it is. And that brings you at some point and hopefully to a list of a manageable list of a few hundred profiles. And then they would start looking through those profiles and they would basically identify um, who they want to approach with a more personalized um, email or in-mail, as it's called, on LinkedIn message. And, and then go from there, usually with first interview or conversation with the candidate or the, um, the person, if they're interested. But the key thing here is the keyword search. And um, so one of the tips I would say when you look at your LinkedIn profile um, is as a member of LinkedIn, you should make sure that the kind of key skills that you have are basically clearly visible on the profile and ideally in more than one section because the LinkedIn algorithm is is picking that up. So if you have certain skills, let's say leadership experience mentioned in several sections of your LinkedIn profile, then you're coming up higher in the search results for a search the recruiter does where um, leadership is a keyword of the search basically that is super interesting manuel so it's almost like a an enclosed environment linkedin has its own search engine optimization and that you have to cater to and much like with general search engine optimization it also matters what is at the top what does the algorithm go through first and i think breaking with protocol might not only be important but actually necessary look at the job ad look at what they're asking for and pull that to the top so it gets to the eyes of the algorithm and the recruiter that looks at your profile first my next question on linkedin specifically because i have a (laughs) love-hate relationship with this is the recommendations and endorsement section is that just a hoax can you just fake that can you pay your mom to do this or do they matter to you as a recruiter and the way that recruiters yeah, use LinkedIn. Yeah, that's a very good question. You know, when I was working at LinkedIn, I always had to tow the company line. I always say, yeah, it's 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 um, it's a very important part. I mean, I have to say, I think it was pretty 
underused and also not very relevant in the early days. I think they have done a lot of work, especially on the endorsement section um, when it comes to skills. And actually what they have done, what is really clever, they have now added a qualitative element to it. So you can actually, your um, if you're getting endorsed for a certain skill, let's say if I endorse you for marketing, then if we are first degree connection or if we have worked together before like colleagues or you were in my team, I was your manager or, or you were my manager. So if we had a closer relationship, if I know you better, then that endorsement counts more than if you just get a random endorsement from somebody in, I don't know, South Africa who looks at your profile once and just clicks a button and says, oh yeah, I'm endorsing Tom for marketing because he has five marketing jobs on his profile. So, so I think they have really changed that. So from that perspective, I think endorsements are probably becoming more relevant. But I think actually the um, the recommendations part is really, really interesting because that's actually an opportunity um, for anybody, especially when you're probably earlier in your career and you don't have so much to show for uh, experience-wise, um, that you can actually get some recommendations from probably very experienced people that you worked for or worked with uh, for a project or through a summer job or an internship and they can recommend you for specific um, skills or specific achievements that you had during that kind of job and, and that will show up on your profile and that's usually much more credible because if you imagine another person putting their name and their professional brand to you or publicly on the website on LinkedIn means means a lot because it basically is it's much more credible than just like pushing a button and saying oh yeah i endorse this person for skill xyz absolutely so we clearly have a narrative of pick the right ones make them quality rather than asking your neighbor your friend your mother yeah um write a little recommendation yeah. for you so last question we have for linkedin because i know nikki is burning to dive into the cv <laughs> section <laughs> Should you inspect, refine, and modify your LinkedIn profile frequently, possibly even you know when you're looking for a specific job and tailor it to that specific job like you would like a CV? Um, so to question number one, absolutely. I think as a minimum, you should update or refresh your profile whenever you have any significant milestones, like let's say you, you finished a big project or well, obviously, yeah, if you change jobs, if you take another responsibility in a charity or a, 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 an employee resource group in your company or anything, if you finish a certain qualification, you should always use those milestones to update your LinkedIn profile as a minimum. I think actually best practice probably would be to set aside half an hour every couple of months or so and just to browse your LinkedIn profile and just add a few things or, or edit or, or just like make it a little bit, um, move it a bit around or change a profile picture. Any of those kind of things can help um, and and keep it relevant. Um, with regards to tailoring it, um, I see a LinkedIn profile more, as I said, as a digital representation of your professional and personal brand. So I think it is a bit broader than a CV. So I think, of course, it's important that you have your the keywords on there that you probably see on the job descriptions you are applying for if you are in a current active job search phase. But I think on the other hand, it's probably, uh, it needs to speak to a much broader audience. So I think the tailoring is a little bit more difficult. What, what I would say though is you should, add, you should hit the tone of 
let's say, the industry or the area you want to apply for. So I'll give you an example. If you are applying for jobs in a more conservative industry, you want to make sure your profile picture and the language is probably reflecting that. If you are applying in a creative industry or in the media, then you probably have a profile picture in a, in a, in a language on your profile that is reflecting more the, the kind of tone and culture of that kind of sector or segment. So I think it's those kind of things that would definitely take in consideration, like who is your audience looking at your profile most likely. But I think the tailoring specifically is a little bit more tricky because obviously you don't know who's looking at your LinkedIn profile and you have a much broader audience than when you send your CV to one specific company for one specific job opening. No, absolutely. I think one of the really wonderful points that you've just made is you know, your LinkedIn profile does to a certain extent the job search for you, mm -hmm. even while you're not on it per se. It's a bit like investing in the stock market. You make money while you sleep, right? <laughs> so make sure you keep it tidy. Uh, it has the right trigger points on it and um, it serves your purpose while you're taking a nap. But Nikki is staring daggers at me because we want to go <laughs> into this CV conversation of today's episode. So Nikki, please. Yeah, Tom, because it's like different but the same, right? It's something depends on I suppose where you are in your career as your as well how you produce your cv how it looks and how you prepared your linkedin profile you've kind mm. of touched on it a little bit before maybe you can just go a little bit deeper into should there be a difference is there a difference and how do you make a difference between linkedin and your cv yeah sure i think um with a CV, obviously, the, the purpose is much clearer, right? You, you have seen a job description um, for a company, for a specific company, uh, for a specific role, and you want to basically now tell that company with your CV or with your application that you are a strong candidate, if not the best candidate for that job. So it, is, it can therefore be much more focused, much more um, specific, um, for, for, for that. And you can be much more clearer that your main purpose is basically I want to get that job and I want to show you or tell you why I'm a great candidate for that. Um, and I think therefore on a, on a, a CV obviously needs to be um, also much more accurate. So things like um, not making any, any um, spelling mistakes or getting your dates right, not having any, um, any weirdness in there and being very kind of comprehensive on a LinkedIn profile. You probably don't, if you have 20 years of experience, I see lots of people just leaving out the earlier years and just summarizing them or, or, or not kind of putting too much emphasis on it with like details. On a CV, I think you should still, you still need to be accurate and you need to account for what have you done in those years um, and so forth. And you need to obviously much more mindful of your um, education, what you put in there. So I think it's just that that's a difference. It's more formal in that sense. And it needs to be definitely um, much more tailored to the, company and to the role that you're applying for because the expectation obviously is you are putting yourself forward for one specific job so it should also then 100% reflect uh, what you can do for that specific role in that company I mean it's you know that level of detail also shows dedication and the desire to really get mm. the job it shows that you've done your homework before you could actually go to an interview process so that's super important as someone who has grappled with the job market <laughs> many a times and the robots that seemingly run it <laughs> After you send your 10,000 CV and application in the job search, there comes a point when it's just so easy mm -hmm. to run out of steam and moxie and mojo and basically send the same CV multiple times. So from a recruiter's perspective, tell the audience how dangerous is that really? How quickly do you see through something like this? 
Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, yeah, and I completely, by the way, Tom, I completely get that frustration. I mean, when I started my first job search um, many moons ago, I was probably, I think I sent about 100 applications. And I do know that because I kept a spreadsheet because in my, I'm that old, actually, there was no online application, mainly in Germany. I sent physical applications and they cost between five and 10 euros per application to send. And you got actually money back from the German um uh, job center uh, for if you were uh, registered as a job searcher, they they gave you money for ap every application you send out to kind of help you with that. So I kept a track of that, and I still have that spreadsheet somewhere to keep me humble and remind me I had over a hundred applications, and they all came back with a thanks but no thanks. So I completely understand the frustration that that candidates feel when you send out a lot of um, applications and you're not getting any any response. But I think the worst you can do is just to do more and not looking at the quality of what you're sending. I, I, I give you a specific example. I'm getting uh, too many times I'm getting candidates who just sent a CV that goes clearly in blind copy to 100 companies or recruiters um, or sometimes even not in blind copy. So you see all the other recruiters that they copied in the email that they just sent to make you feel very special uh, when there's like 100 other people that they're in the, in the same email. And uh, to be honest, I, I'm at this point now where these are the kind of applications I, I don't even look at because I'm like, well, if they don't put the effort in, I don't want to put the effort in either because it tells me something about that person. I know that might sound a little bit mean, but I think it's just if you have a lot of like volume and a lot of people being much more thoughtful about the application, then uh, as a recruiter, you just focus your time more on those um, individuals. Um, again, to give you another example there, I had a, a very lovely call from somebody out of the blue. I have my maybe rightly or wrongly, I have my mobile number still on my LinkedIn profile because I want to be quite open for any kind of candidate and I have my email address there. And that person actually just called me up yesterday, called me in a good moment and said, hey, I applied for a role. I haven't heard um, back yet. Um, can you just check with me? Can you give me some advice? So we had a good four or five minute chat. And in the end, I just basically forwarded his CV directly to my colleague in the US for the role he applied for and said, hey, had a really good chat with this person. I have no idea if they're right for your role or not, but they came across really well. They showed really initiative here. So would would really appreciate if you could just spend a minute looking at their CV and, and let them know if they're right or wrong for the role. So I think initiative pays out and quality over quantity is probably what I would say as well with regards to um, making those applications. And maybe also taking a step back. If you send so many CVs out and you're not getting anything back, I think it's time at some point to step back and reflect and maybe get some feedback from others about what could you be doing differently because it's about doing things smarter, not not more of, if this makes sense, um, because otherwise you're just getting in this very weird um, downward spiral of like um, in a negative headspace and that's not really helping your application process either, unfortunately. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're really good tips as well. Um, there's one thing that we think is kind of a rule or no rule. It depends on the country as well. We've heard picture or no picture on your CV. <clears throat> Education on top or bottom. Is there a golden format that you think would work? But we also, as we said, you know, depends on the country. It, it does. I mean, most countries nowadays, at least in, in Europe, there's a rule now that you don't have to put a picture on a CV anymore or, or a lot of personal information like date of birth. I mean, I still get CVs sometimes of people who put in the name of their children, the professions of their parents. I mean, it's, there's so many old school stuff, especially in Germany, how to write a CV, like your religion. I mean, it was all on there in the 80s, 90s and even early 2000s and then has changed obviously now. 
I think with picture, it's a funny one because although legally you don't have to, um, I think in a lot of countries, like for example, Germany, it's still kind of hmm, expected or candidates are still to a, like to a um, big percentage doing it. So I don't think it's necessarily a mistake to put one on. I think it comes down to personal preference, but it's surely not something that a company can ask for or should expect given um, the yeah the legislation around it. Um, I think with regards to what to put where, I mean, I have always been a big fan uh, of CVs where you start with an opening paragraph that talks about more about yourself. So like an executive summary, uh, maybe four or five lines um, that kind of outline why you um, are the right person for that job. And, and then starting, if you had already a number of years of work experience, I would always start with the work experience and start with the newest, the most recent job first and then going backwards and then going with the section of your education and then anything else you want the recruiter or the company to know. Um, if you are a recent graduate and you probably have more to show for with regards to your degree and your A-levels, then you probably want to put your education first and then any work experience you had so far. So might it be internships, summer jobs, volunteering work, anything else? Um, that would be my guidance. I think the, the principle should always be what's most relevant and what kind of tells my story best to a recruiter or hiring manager when I'm applying for a job. Uh, that's really great. And for you as a recruiter, mm. the CV lands in your desk yeah. or your inbox. <laughs> what do you do next? Um, as I said, I would, I, would, I would usually just scan the CV um, for those kind of key skills or key elements I know the person needs to bring. And by the way, um, little top tip here, uh, lots of companies, when you look at their job descriptions, they're actually pointing them out either um, in a separate section. So they're calling them basic requirements or minimum requirements or something like that. And those are the ones you need to hit in order to be considered. And that's usually things like language skills or specific um work um, experience that you need to bring um, and then there's and then there's obviously other skills that are nice to have um, some companies who don't split it out like this they use specific language they're using language like is required or mandatory or absolute must so if you read any of those then you can be 100 sure that this is a key requirement if you don't have that then it is 99 or more than that likely that you're not being considered for that role um, but I would always encourage if there's a long li shopping list of things that you need to bring and they all have like um, things like ideally or nice to have, don't be put off because I think too many times, especially um, there's lots of research that women, for example, don't apply for jobs when they don't fulfill at least eight or nine or even 10 out of 10 of the criteria. And, and so you shouldn't obviously rule yourself out because of that, but you should just read the job description very carefully with regards to that. Um, to really make sure you are um, you are uh, right for the job, but that's what I would do as a recruiter first, and then obviously I would go more into the um, the detail of the CV and uh, looking at things like how long have they been in certain companies, had there lots of like small little steps, and if they had like short stints, how would they explain them? Um, those kind of things. How how how. Yeah, just how does the CV read and how does the experience come across in relation to what we're looking for? Fantastic. Thank you. I mean, so this is why we have you on the show, obviously, because we really want to have these tactical things, these 
tips and tricks that you can't read on Google that only the people working in the field actually know. So mm. this is our first big podcast episode. So obviously I read up on how to do this. So I'm going to do a pattern interrupt with you, which means let's shake the audience and also our guest up a little bit. <laughs> so there's going to be a quick fire question followed up by a bit of a deeper question. Quick fire question. For any job, on average, how many CVs do you get and what percentage would you say you actually shortlist? Just to give people a sense for how big is this job you're doing. 10 seconds. Okay, so I think you get, I would say on average for most of the jobs, it's at least um, 100 applications nowadays you get. And I probably wouldn't, we wouldn't interview more than six to eight people for one job um, at any given time. Okay, fantastic. So... Chances are slim, which means you really need mm -hmm. to roll up your sleeves, you know, put in that elbow grease. Which leads me to question number two. And we spoke about this very briefly at the beginning. The six-second rule and its enemy status as a recruiter not having time. Having heard what we've heard now, would you say for our listeners, is the six-second rule your enemy? Or is it actually your best friend? If you play your keywords, your CV and your profile right. It's your best friend because it helps you to really um, streamline and focus your your CV to the uh, job description that you're applying for. If you th if you keep that in mind as your guiding principle, you will write a very very strong um, application. So our LinkedIn profile is looking hot, our CV is looking hot, and we have that <laughs> six seconds rule already in our head. And now we go to the job market. Okay. For yeah. me or for us, big question is, is the job market something you should only engage with when you're looking for a job? Or should you just continue doing it a bit like what you said earlier by updating your profile? Does the same go for that in the job search? Should you keep looking around? Should you make sure your LinkedIn matches your job already? Yeah, it's a great question, Nikki. So, I mean... There's obviously this saying, right, to say um, uh, summer bodies are made in winter, yeah? And I think it's the same like with your job search. I think you're preparing for your job, job search when you're actually not looking. So you, you, there's lots of things you can be doing in building your network and, and putting you in a strong position um, before you're actually probably in a position where you're actively looking for a job and it will really, really help you. So I think because you can't build networks overnight, it takes time. And, and so I think that the best you can do is to constantly, yeah, um, network with, with that in mind, like not necessarily just, oh, what is helping me in my next career step, but just what makes me more successful in my current role, which type of people should I be engaging with, who could I learn from, do I want to probably reach out to people who could be my mentors, or people I want to mentor, or people that I just want to have um, some more conversations with because they sound really fun or they sound they have some really interesting insights they can share with me. So I think networking should be second nature because, and I know lots of people are really afraid of it because it doesn't come so natural to them or they feel like, oh, I don't really know what, what to say. I don't want it to be awkward when I reach to somebody out on LinkedIn and what do they think about me? But in the end of the day, I think it's, that's a huge missed opportunity if, if, you, if you don't do that. And I think social media and especially LinkedIn has made it so much easier because um, when you think about 50 years ago, 60 years ago, a lot of your network's um, impact was built on your social class or your upbringing or your, your parents and your family and if you went to university or not. And, 
and it was not very democratic. I think now with LinkedIn, you can actually reach out to any CEO, to any leader in the world and, and can have an impact or at least a conversation with them or at least um, get some, uh, yeah, com communicate with them. You might not always get a reply, but at least you know where to approach them and where to meet them and you can build your networks regardless of your um, upbringing or, or any other advantages or disadvantages you might have uh, from, from your um, biography or from your background. I, you know, this is, it's almost like a, it takes some of the pain, some of this victim mentality away, but it's you versus mm. the job at, you versus the robot, you versus the recruiter. But while, while your LinkedIn profile based on what it is and what it looks like does the work for mm -hmm. you, it's almost like passive income. But then you can also flip the script and to become much more active. You can reach out, you can get networked with people in the companies that you want to work for. You attend events, you blog, yeah. you can do all these wonderful things. I love this point of self-empowerment and taking some of the power back. So on the job search, because you work mm -hmm. with hiring managers all of the time. And so the saying goes, good hiring managers have an attitude over skill. In your experience, would you say this is true? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would I would 100% agree that... Um, you should always, you, you shouldn't just hire people who can do the job that you currently have advertised. You should always try to hire people who could also do the next level up or even like two levels up so that you can see their potential. Um, I, I would also say that depending on the role, um, you, you should sometimes give, you, you probably should give somebody a chance who doesn't have all of the skills, but you can see that they could be great with a bit of training, a bit of coaching. Um, I think on the other hand, I would caution it with, it depends on the skill, right? If we go back to things like, like language skills or, um, or, 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 or a certain computer um, software language skill, then some of those skills are probably um, more difficult to acquire and they take much longer. And so there is maybe an argument to say, well, I can't hire somebody to be a marketing manager for the French market if they don't speak French. But obviously, I can hire somebody to be a marketing manager for the French market if they do speak French, but they probably don't have all of the um, experience that I want, or they probably have not the sector experience. They probably have worked in retail, but not in pharma. And I say, okay, but they can transfer that, and I believe in their potential. So I think it's it's not a yes or no question, but in if I would need to lean to one, I would always say, yeah, attitude and um, potential is, is, is definitely more... Um, important than the, than, the, than the hard skills in the long term. I love this. It's amazing. Just like Gus, Tom. <laughs> oh, I have so many <laughs> things to fix on your CV and LinkedIn as well, Tom. We need to start now. Only kidding, only kidding. I need to look at myself <laughs> immediately and make sure I sort out my own LinkedIn profile and get all of those tips in there. Thank you so much. The nerve, Nikki. My LinkedIn profile is perfect. Glorious. Thank you. But as we promised at the beginning of this podcast, for those of you that have stuck until the end, Manuel is going to share his top three tips of things that he sees people not doing, but they should start doing instantaneously when they get off this podcast. Right. Here we go. So number one, we talked already about tailoring your CV for every job application you are sending it out for. But I would go one step further there and say what I'm missing a lot um, from candidates when they apply is that they're not outlining enough the actual impact they had in previous roles. So when you send your CV, when you talk about your different jobs that you have had in the past, um, then 
talk about the impact, talk about the achievements more than about your actual um, responsibilities, because we all know what a marketeer or what a recruiter is generally doing, but it's more about what have you specifically impacted, what has been your achievements personally in that role, in that company that you worked for. So that would be number one, talk about impact rather than responsibilities. Um, number two, um, we talked a little bit about this earlier, but just want to emphasize it again because it's so important. Add a summary to your LinkedIn profile. It is literally uh, your elevator pitch. It's your gateway into your profile. It often decides if somebody reads on or, or, or not. And it, it is very, very important to kind of really uh, make people understand what you're all about. Uh, doesn't have to be more than two or three paragraphs. Should be very personal. Shouldn't, uh, should avoid any buzzwords. So it should be just you. It should be very authentic you. Uh, your language, your kind of um, um, branding. But I think it's it's so important um, to have that uh, in order to make people more uh, understand who you are and, and what you're all about. And then number three, again, something that I'm seeing, unfortunately, way too often, um, never, ever send a LinkedIn invite that is not personalized, ever, again. So it's like walking up to somebody in the street, giving you a business card and saying, hey, call me. It's not going to happen, right? Unless you're in a, like a 90s, 80s detective movie and in in, in playing in America somewhere. But it doesn't happen. So if you send somebody a LinkedIn invite to connect with them, personalize it. I know LinkedIn is not very simple on the mobile app. It kind of leads you towards sending it without personalization. But on the desktop app, it always prompts you to send a note with it. And on the mobile app, you can actually per send personalized messages as well. So please, please, please do that because you will have much more impact with the people you're reaching out to. And trust me, it's also um, much more enjoyable on the other side when you're getting all these connection requests to actually understand why somebody wants to be part of your network. So that's my top three. Uh, they are amazing top tips. Thank you very much, especially <laughs> the last one. I have plenty of those um, yeah. messages, actually not messages, connection, connection request. requests yeah. um, without a message. And it's just something that can give you a little bit of an edge. So thank you it for does. those. And, you know, Manuel, thank you so much for your time, for being with us today, for sharing your many wisdoms, especially on this really tactical level on all the elements that you just can't Google, where Google tells you your LinkedIn profile needs to be amazing, <laughs> but nobody actually tells you how to do it. So thank you so much for being here. And any last words for the audience? No, I just uh, want to say thank you so much for having me, um, Nikki and Tom. It was absolute um, pleasure to be here. And I hope it was useful for the audience. I try to keep it very tactical deliberately so people can really find these little nuggets they can implement straight away and then obviously yeah i'm on linkedin so if you want to reach out with a personalized invite then please do so and happy to connect and um, if you're looking for jobs samsara is currently hiring so have a look there as well and and i'm always happy to to connect people with others and help them in their in their career journey and their job search so generous manu thank you now, for the audience that is still listening to this podcast at this point, we spoke a little bit about personal brand today and how can you create it, craft it authentically and make it you know, one of your assets at the job search. So if you're curious to hear more, then stick around, follow us on your favorite podcast player, and we will see you next week, Tuesday. Have a good day, everybody. Let's go get it. Mm -hmm.